In the heart of Libby Hill Park, people from different backgrounds united. We are seeing people come together. We are seeing allies stand up on behalf of my people, and it is an extraordinary sight to behold. This particular movement was organized by white allies. It was put together as protesters around the world continue to demand police reform and racial equality. In order to move forward, we really need to have the hard conversations. We need to know what we need to do to do the heavy lifting. The conversation Wednesday focused on how white allies can support young black organizers here in Richmond. What is tangible, actionable next steps we can take to be a good ally? The afternoon rain showers didn't stop the call for change. We're fighting for equality. That means that if you're my ally, I am going to be what I preach. I am going to treat you equal because that's what I would want you to do the same to me. A quick chant was shouted as the crowd left Libby Hill. Then they marched silently in the rain towards the Richmond African burial ground. This is only one spot which held five separate jails. Here, the group got a history lesson on the significance of the site, then a plea as demonstrators called on the white community. We have failed our black brothers and sisters time and time again as they have rose up for freedom and justice. In hopes that white and black people can listen and fight together for racial equality. I am speaking to white people, my people. We need to do better. And it is your duty to find what you can do to lift some of that load for black people. They have been carrying the weight of our country for 400 years. It is our turn. Working for you in Richmond, I'm Matthew Foltz, CBS 6 News. Party people, y'all know what time it is. It's another episode of Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen, and I have a full house today. So before we get on with it, I want the regular co-hosts to go ahead and introduce yourselves, and then we'll kick it to our guest co-hosts for the day. So Lex, go ahead and say hello. Hi, everyone. My name is Lex. I'm 17 years old and a senior in high school here in Sacramento. Fantastic. Melissa, you're up next, love. Hi guys, my name is Melissa. I'm a 14 year old freshman in Southern California and I'm so happy to be back. Oh, we're so happy to have you back. Thanks for joining the party. Trinity, it's on you, mama. Um, hi everybody, I'm Trinity. I am a junior at, in Elgo, California and I'm happy to have a discussion with all of you guys today. Thank you. And so, you know, I always get excited when we have guest hosts, but I'm especially excited today because we have our girls from our Bassin program. So ladies, uh, let me go ahead and start with you, let you introduce yourselves and we'll get into our discussion. Sophia, you go first, love. Hi, I'm Sophia and I'm a sophomore at Albany High School in um, Albany, so Bay Area. And I'm really happy to be here today. Yay, we're happy to have you. Uh, Allison, go ahead and say hello, love. Hi, my name is Allison. I go to the same high school and I am 15 and I'm super excited to be participating in the condo. Yay, yay, yay. Brianna? Hello, my name is Brianna and I'm 16 and I'm a sophomore at Benicia High School in the Bay Area and I'm also very excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So listen, I was just telling the ladies backstage, like uh, there's this thing where people look at Black Youth Leadership Project and they tend to think that we hate all other people. So ladies in Bassin, would you guys tell them how we have treated you all as you've become part of our family? Do we really hate all people? Do we, or do we, you know, let them know, let them talk to them. Talk to us, Allison, come not. on. Of course not. <laughs> I've been here for the past, I'd say six months. Um, and all I've got is support and I've learned so much and I feel like, um, especially like the Bassin Network, it's just great because we can, you know, educate ourselves and still have the same amount of community, still be able to participate um, in the same conversations and really um, 
you know, work. <laughs> and work. Okay. Okay. Brianna, have I been mean to you, Brianna? Not once. This has been like the best community I've ever had. Sometimes I feel like you guys are like more of a family than my actual family. I feel like I can talk to you about anything. I mean, honestly, it's just the best community and I feel welcome and I feel like I can share what I think and I won't be judged and I can be educated and it's just a great experience. So Sophia, have you felt attacked in any of the collab meetings or anything that you've experienced here at, at BYOP? Have you ever felt uh, like you did not belong? No, I mean, I think I was really able to have a good conversation and hear like people's thoughts. And I feel like that was what was important was being able to talk about these issues and, you know, have that space and be able to listen to other people and their ideas. And I didn't feel, you know, like I was silenced or anything. And I also didn't feel like I was like unable to listen to others about like, I feel like that was what was so valuable was being able to hear other people's opinions and thoughts. See, I love it. See, I love it because we're going to dispel some rumors real quick um, because there's this thing going on. Like when they say social justice, they think that it's the black community versus everybody else. And so as part of uh, Brianna, you said you came to the social justice boot camp. What is one of the things that stood out to you? Maybe that you learned, didn't know, or, you know, any of the ladies can answer. Uh, tell me something that you learned about uh, our community as we're trying to really grapple with a lot of things that are happening on school campuses and beyond. So Brianna. Yeah, so I went to the social justice boot camp over the summer and um, I was the only like white person there and I was in the best community ever. I learned so much about like the culture and I got to learn so many new people and personalities and got to see each person like for who they were rather than you know just the statistics that you hear and I felt welcome and I felt like these were friends that I could talk to and connect to outside of the boot camp and they were like people that you know I consider friends and so just so you know that so Melissa has already asked me can she come with us to the Bay Area to meet you guys <laughs> And like, like she ain't all the way in Southern California. <laughs> oh my God. So, you know, over the summer, you know, we had our boot camp, and it was called Black versus the Board of Education, which is also the name of this podcast. And I think we um, had a conversation about um, the way that your peers, your, your counterparts are treated on campus. Um, does anybody have a specific story that kind of stands out to them about something that happened in the classroom that didn't feel quite right? Um, but that, you know, you made a decision to not engage. So does anybody have anything like that? Can you share something about that? Go ahead, Allison. Yeah, I do. So um, I think I was like in sixth grade, probably. And um, there was. Uh oh. I don't know. Should I say her name? I, I'm not sure. Um, I'll, I'll just OK, I'll call her Cynthia. Um, and okay. Cynthia was in the class with me and we were both, oh, did I freeze there? I'm so That's sorry. all right. Come on back. That's all okay. Right. Come on back. Okay. All right. I'm going to start over there. Um, so anyways, I was in a class with this girl named Cynthia and we were both very ambitious. She was black. I'm obviously white. Um, and she was often labeled for raising her hand in class as being like loud, um, she would raise her hand and then if the teacher didn't call on her and called on me instead, she would like, she might be like whispering or like, you know, it was, it was always discussion about the material in class, but it wouldn't necessarily be like allowed because she wasn't, she wasn't called on. She didn't raise her hand. And I, it just struck me, it, it struck me as um, weird, you know, as a sixth grader, mm -hmm. as an 11 year old. And I, I kind of saw it and I was like, oh, well, maybe she is loud. And I, I just kind of had that label for her in my brain, you know, until I really like genuinely thought about it a couple of years later um, and really, you know, pondered what was she really, you know, just a just a super loud and like over like hype child or was she just labeled that by my teacher and I accepted it to be true and kind of internalized that. So mm. that was something that I'd that I've thought about a lot. Um, but okay. yeah. 
And so when we're talking about things that are happening on campuses, does anybody have, do you think, do you think that you're treated differently than your counterparts? Personally, I feel like I definitely um, can see that, especially at my campus. Um, and in what way? Give me, um, be more specific in what way? I can see it um, usually in the classrooms. Um, and it's you, it's not usually like the kids that are the perpetrators or they don't mean to be. It's usually like the adults in the classroom. Um, and like, for example, like that um, thing that I showed you or sometimes they get like sent out, um, like my black friends get sent out of class for things that um, people like white people don't or white kids don't get sent out for. Um, so, yeah. Do, do you, can you give me one example? One example of what what are they getting sent out that for that white kids aren't getting sent out for? Oh, very small things. Like, um, I know that there was like this one kid that like didn't finish his homework or something. And I was like, you know, there's there could be a lot of things that go on at home or whatever. And also like I've seen other kids, other white kids that didn't get sent out for not doing their homework. And it was like, yeah, I. I have something to um, add on for that, like for how we're treated differently. There was um, an incidence where I was, it was me and one of my black friends, we were just talking to a teacher. I think it was like passing period between, uh, or like before class started. And this is kind of referring to like what, what they see for like the future for different types of students. Um, so this teacher, we were talking, she's like, oh yeah, what college are you going to? What do you want to be when you grow up? Like she had like faith in me that I was gonna be something bigger or like do something great. And as she was talking to my black friend, she was like, so what do you want to do for a job or who do you want to work for? And I, I was like, what's going on? It was just like the simple like tone that she used as if like, my friend wasn't going to go to college or she was not going to pursue a higher education. And I, I felt very uncomfortable in that situation and I didn't really know what to do. Hmm. Um, I wanted to ask Allison and Sophia, since you guys both go to the same school, what are your school demographics? Like is your school predominantly white or is it pretty mixed? Like how does, how's your school looking? Yeah. Um, I actually like, sorry, like oh, well, I um I know from like the website they have it on there. Um it's like around thirty percent white, so that's a lot, and then it's around thirty percent Asian Pacific Islander. And then um I don't remember the remaining I just know that there's three percent black and then I know in between that is um like Hispanic, Latina, Latino, um and I'm not quite sure if there, what else, but that's around the demographic, yeah. And you, that was 3%, right? Three? Yes, yes, 3%. Not mm. above that, so it's pretty small. Mm. And so when you guys are on these campuses, do you, do you think that um, black, black students are welcome there? Do you think those 3% would say that they feel welcome on your campus? Well, I feel like, you know, ha being in um, a group and seeing people who look like you makes you feel much more comfortable or makes you feel, you know, more accepted and not having yourself reflected back, whether that's in faculty or like in classmates or, you know, just like the people around you that, you know, makes you feel less um, welcome. And I actually did a show once um and because i like to do theater and the cast was i am not joking every single person was white except for one person he was black and i just remember thinking like i hadn't even realized for like a for a little bit until like the third day maybe of rehearsal and i was like oh wow wait i just realized this and i'm just trying and i'm thinking like if i was black like that like for that guy in the cast like he would have noticed immediately and he would have felt uncomfortable immediately and I didn't mm -hmm. notice and I was fine for like 
multiple days until I realized how many white people were in the cast. So, so for the BGSN girls, or, or go ahead, Trinity, go ahead, jump in there. Yeah, I was just going to say, I went to um, a predominantly white elementary school all the way up until sixth grade until I transferred to a school out here in Elk Grove. And what I will say from a Black girl perspective is that it was very uncomfortable to be on campus. Um, There's a lot of microaggressions, like I hear you guys talking about right now, a lot of microaggressions that I didn't realize that affected my ability to nurture and grow into the person I am today. Um, that my teachers, you know, put on me or even the people that I went to school um, that are my, my, my uh, classmates. Um, and it's not a comfortable environment. It's not somewhere where you feel like, where you feel safe or you feel respected or heard. Um, so yeah, that's all I was gonna say. I, and that's what I, I was gonna ask you guys. Go ahead, Melissa. I've always been at, at a predominantly white school even now. Um, and I know I have always, last year, I was the only black girl in the eighth grade class. And so I definitely know how that feels to not feel like you're welcome. And even if the teachers are trying, it's still difficult to not see anyone that looks like you and not be able to really confide in anyone, not have black teachers, a black principal, anyone, no students, anything, no one to really make you feel like you belong there. And when you say uh, that you belong, you're talking about um, the comfort level, then, right? Because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why, why I'm reiterating that. Because you have a lot of superintendents, and you have a lot of um, teachers who think that it's, it's nothing to bring black students into a space where they are the only ones there. They don't see how that could be, how that could negatively impact uh, a student. So when we're having this conversation today, we need to make it real for those people who always want to give out surveys talking about belongingness, but yet they don't hire people who look like the demographic that's saying we need more representation. And I'm talking specifically about Elk Grove right now, but we can uh, that can go span all of the districts because for some reason you got a bunch of people in positions of power who won't listen to the people as they're saying, we need more representation. So as students who see yourself represented on campus, does that help you navigate more? Do you feel like, you know, you're part of the student body? Like, does, does that help with your comfort level? If the shoes were reversed and you didn't have any teachers or administrators who look like you, would that impact your educational experience? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because, I mean, the point is that there's a shared experience there, you know, like, when you're both Black, then you're both going through the world with that um, discrimination and with those microaggressions, and Come you on. can connect, or you have your Teach own Teach them something, Sophia. Teach them something, <laughs> Sophia. Come um, on. And you have those, <laughs> those same experiences that you should share and you can talk about or like maybe you had a bad day maybe someone like said something that really made you feel off and if there's no one to talk to you about that because they don't get it because they didn't go through it then that's probably feels really lonely like I know we have um of our counselors like we have one black counselor but like it's organized by your last name and so like if you're black and you don't have that counselor then like you know you might feel really like unable to talk to someone who has that shared experience let me ask my girls, uh, uh, my black girls, how many of you have gone in to speak to your counselor and have gotten a positive response? See, there's like, a, <laughs> it's like, it's hard Why because it's like, see? <laughs> it's because like I've, I've gone and talked to my counselor and she kind of like, you know, gave me some good advice. My high school counselor, my, my middle school counselor is a different story, even though she was black, but um, my high school counselor was even like kind of like a microaggression like you know I was asking her about college and she's like you know well you're actually kind of behind like but I'm I'm a straight A student in a bunch of clubs like I'm not behind in anything you know but she's like you know your math level is all the way behind these other students so it's probably going to set you back like and re realistically come on now but you know I I don't know it's it's like a like a teeter-totter or whatever you call it. 
I know for me, my counselor, sorry, I know my counselor, um, the only time that they actually made an appointment with me was when I had to write a referral for something. And then other than that, it's me going out of my way to go talk to my counselor. And even then it's like, I won't, I'd say, I want to be in this advanced math class. And they're like, oh, but you didn't take this like three years ago. And I was like, where were you to tell me I needed to take this class three years ago so I could get in this advanced course so I could go to this nice college right. or whatever I wanted to do. You know, they're not, they're there, but they're not there for you because obviously they're not bringing you this information. Luckily, my parents, you know, would be behind my back and they know these things, you know, they're like, oh, because my dad used to sub for school. So he knows how school works. But if that wasn't the case, would I still be here doing all these things, like getting all this stuff? The counselors, I think, Miss Sharina, who runs Go, I think she says they're like the biggest gatekeepers at a school. They keep yes, things from you. And so I, I stand with that. And personally, I don't really like my counselors at my school. I don't think they're there for me. So I don't really have a good relationship with mine. And I'm okay to say that my school counselors <laughs> are good. I'll go straight to the VP. That's what I do now. I don't I don't go to them. I'll just go straight to the VP and I'll be like, this is what I want. This is what I need. Give me in these classes somehow. Um, but yeah, the, I, I don't really associate with my counselors like that because they're not there for me. It's interesting uh, that you say... Oh. Go ahead, my yeah. Go ahead. It's interesting that you say that like, your count like counselors are the biggest gatekeepers because it was the same case for me like I have my school is all IB so there's barely any AP classes and um essentially like in middle school you're supposed to go through this middle years program um but since I was coming from a different school district into Elk Grove Unified all of the counselors and teachers at that school had told me that like the curriculum was different and that I was going to be behind so I don't need to take the classes that they're offering. Um, even though, like like I said, I'm a straight A student, I've been my whole life. So I, like, you know, that's basically irrelevant. And so hmm. basically my counselor and those teachers at that school robbed me of being able to be in full IB and experience that. So now I'm a junior and this is when you start the IB courses, like, I'm not able to be in full IB. I'm only allowed to take up to like two IB classes because of because they were gatekeeping. So, be, so before you go on, for those who are watching that are not familiar with IB, can you tell them what IB is? So it's a it's a world like a international. It's called International Baccalaureate, and basically it's it's a world renowned program, and it's it's higher than AP, it's more recognized than AP. And essentially, if you take two full years of IB, you you go into college as a sophomore. So you have to take full IB mm. and you get college credits for those courses and you get a diploma and you know all of these things. Um, and you go into college as a sophomore. So you're already knocked off your freshman year and those prerequisites that you need to take as a freshman in college, but yeah. That's pretty much what it is. And it, and it's supposed to give you a world perspective view, like make you open-minded and all this other stuff. But I, I don't know about that, but I know the mm -hmm. college part for sure. <laughs> so with my so, counselor- Go ahead, go I ahead. Have two, there's two counselors. So there's one counselor, she's the academic counselor and she's just over the high school. And then there's another one that's over um, middle and high school. And so at the beginning, um, no, at the end of last year, I got to talk with the one that was over uh, middle school and high school, and he's black. And so I got to really connect with him, and he actually reached out to me because he knows I was one of the only black students in the school. And so he reached out to me and asked to set up a meeting. And um, I felt really comfortable talking to him, and I felt like I, I really mattered being able to talk to him. And now my counselor over just the high school, she's white. And I talk to her once a week, mostly about academics, but at times she'll reach out to me if she knows that something's going on um just in the world and she thinks i might be affected by it she reaches out to me um and asks if i want to talk and so i really do with my counselors at least i do feel comfortable and feel accepted with them well good i'm glad to hear that um because that's not always the case and like trinity said there are some folks that are put into place to keep one, they don't encourage black students to take courses with more rigor because they don't think that they're capable of doing that. Um, and number two, most of the counselors that they hire 
do not look like the folks who want to take those courses, right? And then once they get in these higher level courses, they are not welcomed in there because the teacher sometimes makes it hard for them. So, um, you know, I just want you all to, to be mindful that experiences are not the same. So uh, Allison and Sophia, are any of you taking any honors AP classes? Are you being encouraged to take those type of things? Yeah, so um, right, well, no one in the sophomore class has gotten to take honors and AP classes, but we just had course selection. Um, and we, um, or at least for me, I was being really ambitious and taking, um, and planning. I'm planning on taking quite a few next year. Um, and like my counselor didn't do anything to like stop me from that. Like, honestly, I think like, I think she's had, she's told other people like, hey, don't do that. But then for me, she was just like, yeah, go ahead. And it, I don't know, I, I never really thought of that, but that that's my experience with counselors. They, they're mostly very lenient um, and, and understanding whenever I'm like, I wanna do this. Interesting. Well, that's good to know. Um, but were you gonna say something, Sophia? I saw you on mute. Were oh you yeah, add? well, I was going to kind of reiterate that I feel like I have, I've gotten like that support and I haven't like had like, you know, the experience that like a black kid could have of like feeling like there's microaggressions like I felt very supported and you know I it doesn't feel like there's like a difficulty there so yeah yeah I'm taking um AP world this year and there's only one black student in my class of 30 and then last year I took honors English and once again there was only one black student and I'm not really sure what the counselors do at my school because I've spoken to my counselor once in the past two years and all she did was look over my grades and say, okay, you're good. And I have no other relationship. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I'd like to know what the hell they do too. I need to start asking some questions because uh, I'm curious too. Oh, Go I'm ahead. sorry. That? <laughs> oh, that's me. No, no, don't I, be sorry. Come on. Okay, I was just going to say that like, um, I forgot about honors math because that starts like when you're a freshman. There's no people like there's no black people in that class. I think I'm one of like the only Latinx people and like it's it's really bad. There's just white and Asian people. There's no no one no one else. It's I don't know. And I, I guess I never really noticed that. But now that I think about it. Why, yeah. Why does why does lady tell her not my business? <laughs> telling all my business in the comments um, yeah I did all right in math in high school thank you Miss Giles thank you um, <laughs> but you know be before we because I know you guys have to go pretty soon and I wanted to get this question in um, how many of you have been paying attention to the uh, trial that's currently going on are you aware of what's happening around you what have you seen uh, Sophia, you're shaking your head. What What have you seen? What are you thinking? Um, well, I have the New York Times app on my phone, and I'm a little bit addicted, kind of almost unhealthy. Um, I feel like it's not good for my mental health. You know, the news is always negative. But um, I have been looking at that trial and stuff, and I recent and recently, you know, they showed new footage of body cams, and it showed what happened before. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking of how, kind of, there was um, a line that um, the defense lawyer for Derek Chauvin said, like, this case is so much more than the nine minutes and 30 seconds. And what's funny is you could totally spin that for <laughs> the prosecution because actually, yeah, it's a lot more than just when he was like on the ground it was when they pulled him out of the car it was when they didn't calm him down it was when they didn't use de-escalation techniques it was when they didn't really read him his rights it was like all of that it was when they didn't respect his claustrophobia like it was all of that and it, yeah it just it shows how there's no real de-escalation techniques used in the police anymore and um i saw some notes from the like editors that they have and like um that stuff wasn't even used like 
years ago and it only has just started now and it hasn't really been implemented in training and that's a really big problem so mm -hmm. allison um personally i like i don't know i feel like i don't have as i feel like my access to the media is kind of like not as prominent as Sophia's. I know like when she was little, she used to have like podcasts going on and stuff. Um, however, I do think that um, I totally agree with everything that Sophia has said. I know like most of everything that happened from like summer. And the thing is, is like, I haven't really been following it, which is my like, which is my problem. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like um, recently I've been like so stressed with things that are like sort of more personal and like me and I I guess I just I feel like I've let the community down and I feel like I haven't you know stepped up to what I've what I've wanted to um in that in that in that sense but I do have a history teacher who um comes up to us every um, every class and just like goes over the news. And I think that I've been like really re like reliant on her um, and her opinions. And so essentially, like essentially I just was going to say the same thing that Sophia was going to say. Um, I don't think that um, there, I don't, I don't think that um, the video should have been released like this late. I, I don't know. It just, it seems like really late for this thing to have gone on for so long. And it, I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you said that um, you feel like you've let the community down. And I want to kind of ask you to clarify that. What do you mean when you say that you feel like you let the community down in a sense? Because I feel like I I feel like it's my responsibility um, to know about to educate myself. And I feel like that's something that um, I really believe, like, I, I believe that I need to be like, personally educated about it, because it is what's happening. It is real. It's in the world. And it's, it's still happening, and it shouldn't happen. And I think that that's something that I need to speak up about. And that's something that I need to, to um, keep revisiting. Um, however, I wasn't doing that. Um, quite recently mm -hmm. because I was prioritizing other things over it. And that's why I feel like I've let the community down because I prioritized other things over, you know, making sure that I was caught up on everything. Um, so, yeah. Okay, got you. And so um, as the trial is commencing and it's keeping it going on, and like you said, there's new footage um, being released and you said you were able to focus on um, personal things. Um, do you think that um, you could empathize with the fact that the Black community can't put it off because they have to kind of deal with it? What about yeah. what about you, Brianna? What do you think? Okay, Brianna, what do you think? I absolutely can empathize. It's so hard to watch. I don't like. I don't understand how like the defense side can justify what they're saying. Like they're trying to pawn it off on substance abuse or other health conditions. And they're trying to like excuse the officer's actions. And I don't understand how like as human beings, they can like ignore it. They're almost ignoring it. They're trying to excuse what he did and almost like justify it. And I, that's hard to watch. It's it's horrible. I I can't understand where they're coming from. And then I was also watching something else or just like a little snippet of something on the news. And it was like, the, the jury has nine white people and six people of color, not even just, not even like black people, just people of color. And I don't, I don't see how that's fair. I don't see like how, if we're moving forward as a country, like they can put a jury that has a predominantly white background, like there, like to, I don't know, to try him. And I, I just don't understand where that's coming from. Well, I have my own theories, but I'll let y'all leave those to y'all. So um, ladies, um, I know that you have to go. So is is this a good time for us to tell y'all sayonara, see you next time. And we hope that you will join us on a future episode of Black versus the Board of Education. 
Uh, we just didn't want to just let y'all drop off without saying thank you for your time. So go ahead and um, we will see y'all next time. Thank you very, very much. And so while we're uh, moving folks around, I'm gonna try to, oh, there she go. Hey girl, hey. Um, let's try to reconfigure this screen a little bit. There you go. All right, so we're talking about the trial um, and we're talking about uh, the ability to empathize. And I think that what is missing, especially in the schools is everybody wants to go back to business as usual. Everybody wants to kind of ignore the fact that there are real things happening in the community that are affecting black students in a specific way, right? And so you hear them, they continue to use words like equity and um, restorative practices. And don't nobody really get trained on that because they got a train the trainer mentality with a bunch of white folks training other white folks about whatever it is that they're doing. Um, they don't mandate training. Training is not required. It is a, a bargaining tactic for uh, schools in the union. And so as, as folks who are committed to seeing things done a different way, what can we do collectively um, to kind of change the way things are being done and how we're being seen and what is being accepted um, by folks who are actually running uh, the show? Melissa? I think that in schools, we need more black staff, but not just black staff, black people who are actually going to stand up for what's happening, who are actually going to be there for the black students, who are actually going to talk about what's happening in the world. That if another incident, when another incident like George Floyd happens and we're in a school session, we need teachers who are actually going to talk about it and ask not just the black students, but ask all students, how are you feeling about this? What do you think you can do about this? Um, have you thought about how it's making other people feel? You know, being not necessarily catering to the black students, because we see that with the white students, but making sure that the people who are going to be impacted by real world situations, who are going to be impacted by things other than school, school is not going to be necessarily our top priority when we're thinking about living so we need more black administrators who are going to be there for the black students and make sure that they're cared for. Mm. Lisa? It's kind of people uncomfortable, right? It's, we got to speak up. We know, so I just, uh, <laughs> these young ladies are amazing. They come and they, I've been working with them for months and it's really important that I teach them uh, what we, we talked about that, that gut feeling when we know something's not quite right, but sure, because it's so subtle, the things that we hear are so subtle that maybe that child is that way, right? Um, but I, I, I I teach them to really trust that gut feeling. And when they know the truth, when they know 400 years of oppression, that 400 years of slavery and this uh, mass incarceration and the school to prison pipeline, it's like these are real things, redlining, right? Um, Jim Crow, right? The the drug, um, the, the drug wars, drug wars, right? Like these are real life things. Like there's war on drugs. Like there's, these are real life things right that that have happened that continue to happen what we're seeing today are um modern day lynchings these are modern day mm. things and they're on media if you guys see you can look up cards white people watching lynchings this is the same thing right except they're a knee in a black man's neck and are shot multiple times, 13, 18 times, like, no, it's sickening. So the more that they know that this is truth, that what they're seeing and that they have a purpose, right? They have to tap into a purpose. I teach the girls, uh, learn some self-confidence. They have to know who they are, first of all, right? And learn to stand on some truth to be able to use their voice, right? To speak up against these injustices. We have to do it. And if you see your, your family, call out your own family. I know there's anti-blackness in my family. I call it out when I see it on both sides, Mexican and white. This whole thing, right? And the more we act like it's not, the more we are the problem. Um, so, so call it, see it. Everybody, 
<laughs> this is what I teach the youth. So I hope more people join us. I have some more adults join us who um, are ready to get in this fight because until we see it as a problem, right? As, it's, as soon as white people see it as a problem, it's not going to change, right? It's going to keep mm. getting swept under another murder. Like, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. It's C21. This should not still be happening, right? Yeah, um, we agree. We agree. For sure. All I can do is teach, keep teaching, keep speaking up. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, you know, our Bassin program, our Bassin youth meet every Sunday at noon, every other Sunday at noon, and our adults meet, what, second Sunday? What is it? I think it's the first Sunday. I don't know. Girl, tell me when they meet. The third, the third Sunday of every month at two p.m. All right, the third Sunday. The third of every Sunday. Month at 2 okay, got it, got it. <laughs> every third okay. Sunday. Okay, we got it. So every third Sunday, you can catch Lisa and the Bastin youth, uh, or and or adults, twelve and two. So we want to make sure that we yeah. get uh, more I'll folks involved in that work. And you the youth every other Sunday at. 12 yeah, I said that. <laughs> Lisa's audio is going in and out. She's catching every other I was word, saying that. Yeah. So. Okay, she was saying something. Um, but, you know, yeah, every other Sunday at 12. And uh, the adults meet every third Sunday at 2. And so we want to be mindful of that because, again, we're in this work together. Whether you see BYLP and BGSN, BBSN, you see Bassin, we're a one big happy family. We just are working on different things because different groups of kids need different things. And so um, we're working collectively with the goal of making sure that youth are supported, um, that they learn the power within their own voices, um, and that they can use uh, their voices without fear of retribution or adults coming down on them. Again, if there's something that somebody said that you don't like, um, see me and Lisa about it. Um, I'm okay with that. Um, but it is not for anybody to come after these young people because they have an opinion about how they've been treated in a school system that has been openly hostile to black children and has made the uh, lives of white students a lot easier. So um, yeah, we're gonna call you on that every time, every chance that we get, um, because we realize there's a problem somewhere. And um, we like to think of ourselves as a problem solver. So it is what it is. So, you know, we, we uh, kind of took the show out of order today uh, because we wanted to make sure that our young ladies from Bathin had uh, the time that they needed, uh, that we needed them to have. So we have a couple stories that I want to get to. Um, I know that there was one um, where two young men were threatened and we have a video. Um, Jada, are you ready with that video? Okay, so the video's moving, but I don't hear anything. You're gonna have to take your mic off of mute. While she's doing that, party people. Nope. No, I still don't hear it. Anyway. <sighs> One day we gonna get this technology right, y'all, <laughs> I promise. One day we gonna have the technology right, Students and we gonna get it. When two of them started using racial slurs, even talking about killing classmates, even specifically naming a few of them, uh, police investigated the incident. But some believe the district did not handle all of this correctly, and now they want change. Okay. Now, this is something that we see often, where Black students are targeted with different... Um, things. Mostly, this is how we got involved in Elk Grove, where students were being bullied and threatened. Nooses were being thrown into the classroom, not talking about this particular story that we just saw that little clip on. But here in Elk Grove, nooses were being thrown into classrooms. Um, people were following home Black students in a truck that had a Confederate flag in the background. Um, the young ladies decided to write a letter to their administrators about what was happening to them on that campus. Um, the administrators turned a deaf ear 
Um, one of the young ladies went on uh, local media and told the media what was happening. And then um, they began to target her on class in, in, on the, in that school. They began to target her within her classes because they were mad. Because, you know, these districts, they, they like to hire people that, that cover their behinds. Um, and they were really frustrated that um, this actually happened um, and they couldn't keep it contained. So districts are complicit in the violence towards black students because they refuse to act. Has there, can anybody, because um, Trinity, I know there's some, some stuff going on over at your school where the district and the administrators are refusing to act. What has that kind of done to you as a student on campus? Um, so recently, like just to give a brief like background or whatever, my some a kid on my campus did blackface, like the virtual blackface, um, and nothing happened with that. And then also we had a student or students make a white student union uh, page, Instagram page, and go around and target our Laguna Creek BSU and then also other schools BSUs. Nothing was done about that. Nothing was said about it by the district or our admin, or they sent out a letter that indirectly addressed the situation basically. Um, and I feel unsafe. I don't feel welcome on campus. And I feel, I think most importantly, and the most scary pieces is I don't feel safe going back on campus or being around staff or the students in my school, because those are things that can pose like a great danger to me and to my peers. It's not something you take lightly when you have kids doing blackface on campus, blackface has a horrible history behind it. And even with people who have that much hate in their heart, you're you're sitting next to them in class and they have that much hate and animosity in their heart towards you, you know, just because you're black. And it's not a safe setting, it's not welcoming. Um, and the fact that admin and the district continuously ignores it is even more concerning um, because they're complicit, like you said. They're not. They're not doing anything about it. And at this point, I feel like equity to our district is like a buzzword. Like they just keep throwing around equity here and there, and everything's equity, but nothing. You know, nothing's changing. Um, but I think the the biggest thing is I feel unsafe and unwelcomed, and I also don't feel like I. I don't. I don't feel like I don't want to indulge myself in the content or the things that they're having, you know, on campus, whether that's like a school dance or the curriculum they're teaching. I don't want to be a part of it because I know there's people that are teaching me and people that are, you know, in the classroom or that are my peers that aren't doing, are, that have this hate towards me in my heart. And that could potentially cause harm to me mentally or physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would now, I'd, go ahead. Go ahead. Who was that? Lex? Go ahead, Lex. It's okay. Go. Um, I agree with Trinity at 100%. Quite honestly, it's disappointing. It's disheartening. You know, lots of schools revolve around school spirit. And I know my school, we have like the three R's. But, you know, how do you want me to stand for you and be like, oh, eagle pride, eagle spirit, when you guys can't even turn around and give us the same respect of fighting for us while we're here, you know, in the stands, fighting for our school, you know, doing all this. But you guys won't give us the same respect. And I know it's on different levels, but at some point, ours is more important because these people are out here are being threatened for their lives. You know, it's a lot more serious. And I know um, you guys are saying it's being ignored, but it feels as if you guys just don't care at all. Like you're looking at it, you're indulging in it, and they're just like, whatever. Like, we can't be bothered. We just can't deal with it. Like, we don't want to deal with it. That's what it seems like because they're just turning a blind eye. It's just like, okay, we'll just look the other way. We're not going to deal with it. And it just makes us feel unwanted. It makes us not want to participate in school. And then they get mad at us because we're not participating in class when you guys don't even care about our well-being at school. Right. So it's, it's, it's like we're going in a circle here. They're like chasing us to do one thing and we're trying to get the other thing. And they won't even give us the respect of giving us that one thing that will keep us at the school because we already know that they're not treating us right in the school, but they won't even give us the common courtesy of making sure we're safe at school. It, it just doesn't make sense and it's really disappointing. I can personally yeah. relate to this story. Um, something pretty much exactly like that happened to me when I was in sixth grade at a school in Mar Vista. 
Um, and there was this one boy who was targeting me and he was, there were racist slurs thrown. And eventually because it was me and I had a couple of other black friends who were realizing that this was wrong and they stood with me. And before going to teachers, we kind of talked to him. We're like, you, can you stop? This is unnecessary. And, and for what? And then death threats also, you know, he was being rude and death threats also ended up happening. And so after that, we brought it to, um, because this was also happening during PE. So we were outside and there was a coach, a PE teacher who was watching this happen and was doing nothing. So we were like, well, maybe he didn't see it. You know, we're 11. So we're like, oh, we want to think the best of the teachers. Right. And so we brought it to his attention and we were like, um, this is happening. Can you do something? And he was like, oh, it's, he told me, he was like, oh, it's probably just because he likes you. Okay. I don't, I don't care. It's he's, I don't feel safe at school. And so after that, I brought it to one of my favorite teachers, my humanities teachers, and she um, went and talked to him, to the PE teacher, and he still did nothing. And so then she went and called the student's parent, who also did nothing. So I then brought my mom onto the campus, and I was like, I need you to come talk to these people because I don't feel safe. And so she ended up talking to, um, we went to the vice principal and to the principal, and um it, they tried to ignore us. And so I ended up doing a sit out and I did not participate in class because I was like, if you guys aren't going to respect me as a student on campus, I'm not going to participate. And the coach was upset that me and because my friends were behind me with this, uh, we weren't in class. I was like, well, you guys aren't going to participate. Then I'm not going to And I was like, you do that, but I want answers. And so he went and brought the principal in and that's when he finally so what what should happen uh brianna you want to jump in there what what should what would be the appropriate response um when things like this are happening to students what do you think the appropriate response that these teachers administrators should take uh, well, first of all, I think that, you know, a school's job is to protect the students, you know, parents trust that, or they should be able to trust that when they send their kids to school for, I don't know, eight hours a day, that their students will feel welcome and safe and comfortable. So when you hear of situations like this, where students are being targeted and not listened to and hurt and like, feeling like they're hated, it's it's horrible and it shouldn't be allowed, but teachers have to recognize like their own bias and they need to address it and fix it and educate themselves because it's unacceptable. And they're not always, they won't always understand what's going on in a student in a student's life, but they can, they can try and they can try and feel empathy for what they've gone through and you know, adjust their own policies and actions to better help the student succeed. And also when something so obviously wrong is happening, they need to take the stance and fix it and, you know, implement policies that prevent it from happening again. Well, I mean, ordinarily, I might agree with that. However, there are policies on the books that people refuse to implement on behalf of black children. Um, there are policies on the books where that should have been no, no tolerance. Had it been a black kid threatening the life of somebody, they would have said they would have hemmed him up for uh, terrorist threats or something silly, silly like that. So th they need to have the same energy. I'm not one of these ones that say, oh, well, teachers need to learn. No, they know because they enforce it on one group, but refuse to enforce it on another. So we need to have that conversation because if we're talking about equity, there has to be equity in the way in which they dole out discipline. And for some reason, they believe that black children should be on the brunt end of the harshest punishments all the time. Like black children are not believed. These are the statistics. I'm only, I'll, I'll regurgitate statistics for you. Um, they don't believe, they believe black children are older than they actually are. They believe that they don't feel as pain as other kids would. And they don't believe that them when they tell them that something is going wrong. What should have happened is that that teacher should have immediately stepped in 
and protected the students who were being targeted. He should have, that kid probably should have been given at the least, at the bare minimum, an on-campus suspension. Mm -hmm. At the bare minimum. <laughs> but for some reason, you got all these jokers in place in positions of power who act dumb when it comes to disciplining kids who look like them. But they have no mercy for kids who look like me. And we have to talk about mm -hmm. that. Trini, you got something to say? Down. Sorry. Oh, look. Sorry. No, you could you said they you said they play dumb? No, I said they play said? down. I think it happens oh, to white people in general. Like in any situation, oh it was mental health, oh it's this or it was that, you know, it's always played down, but in our in our case it's always upscale. But we're not getting into that, so sorry, I just wanted to say that. No, and I, I think that um I think that it's not just white people. I think there's a lot of anti-blackness in the school system, period. Um, and if we continue to keep our eyes just on white people, we're missing some stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. we have about like four minutes. I know there was another story. I don't know if we have time to get to it, but I'll briefly tell you about it. Um, it, it was the one, uh, the one that you sent, Melissa, the headmaster in New York, I believe. Um, tell us what happened again. Yeah, so there was um, a student, a black student in New York, and uh, he was doing an assignment. I don't remember exactly what the assignment was, and he was called into the headmaster's office. Um, and I believe it was. Do you want to read that? Go ahead and read that. Read that highlighted paragraph for me. Yeah, let me zoom in real quick. Um, it says the white headmaster of a Catholic school on Long Island has resigned following reports that he had a black student kneel in apology last month, calling it the African way to apologize. The headmaster was temporarily moved from his job at St. Martin de Porres School in Hempstead, New York, over the weekend after parent Trisha Paul went to the local press regarding her 11-year-old son's treatment at the school. My question is, why did they have to go to the press to get it addressed? Anybody know? My question is, why was he tempor temporarily removed? <laughs> Good question. Right. What other question? What else do y'all see? <laughs> the child was and 11. What's that? What do they know the about African the African way? way? African. What's the African way? I don't know. I, I, I find it, the reason why I find it so offensive is um some of our ancestors have been over here 400 years we all we don't really know africa like that yeah. um there was this one this one meme that went around to be african-american which i don't use that term to describe myself but we'll go with it for now um to be african-american is to be uh african with no memory and american with no privilege james baldwin said that Sorry. okay Oh no! Thank you, thank you for that because I saw it. It didn't, it didn't credit James Baldwin, but thank you for saying that. Um, mm -hmm. So to tell somebody that something is the African way, um, th that's a bit offensive to me. Lisa, I don't know if you, you, you <laughs> I don't know if you stuck or what. She's not blinking. <laughs> Lisa, am I on? I guess I was. Uh... Connection was bad earlier. Am I on? Yep. Yes. No. I maybe so. Yes. yes. I think yep. she has a delay. Hello. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's definitely a. Oh Lord, it's definitely yeah. something, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah. we have about a minute left. Uh, does anybody want to add anything? And Brianna, we certainly thank you for joining us today and, and contributing to the conversation. Uh, ladies, as always, it's a pleasure seeing you uh, for another Monday. Um, what do we what do we want the, the schools to know about um, being an ally? What should they do? And we have about 45 seconds. Brianna, what, do, what, what should schools do, Brianna? Uh, I think the first and foremost, they need to recognize their own biases and just just own own up to them. I mean, I think everyone has them, no matter who you are. So own up to them. Second, educate yourself, educate your students, address the curriculum that students are being taught make, you know, because a lot of the history I learn is about Europe. I, you know, and that's basically all I learn. And you don't, 
hear about cultures from around the world, definitely not Africa, because I, I spent one week learning about Africa this year and the, all the other months were about Europe. So it's, <laughs> it's harmful to be teaching students just about European history. And then don't be afraid to speak up when you see something that is unacceptable, is not right. Even, I mean, even if you're unsure, speak up and spread, spread your knowledge with the people you know. I mean, sometimes it's hard to reach like a broad, a broad spectrum of people, but just communicating with those like type people in your community can make a big difference. Perfect. And so um, I'm going to end this uh, episode like it began. And I'm going to say, like the speaker in the video said, I just need these schools to doggone do better. And we're going to leave it there. Go ahead and hit them with that wave. We'll see you guys next Monday. Take care. And yeah, catch us next week. Remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.